Welcome to the Feeding Humans podcast, where we talk about the joys and challenges of nourishing ourselves and the kids we love in spirit, mind, and body. For many of us, the struggle with food and feeding is real every day and can be a source of constant frustration. But understanding the countless ways the human experience influences how we relate to food, how we parent, and how we feed our families can help us see these struggles in a new light. And since our kids are human too, it helps explain their sometimes maddening responses. I'm your host, Katherine Zavodny, registered dietitian, eating disorder specialist, family feeding expert, and fellow human. I'm so glad you joined me today. Hi there, and welcome to the very first episode of the Feeding Humans podcast. I have been waiting for this day for such a long time, and now that it's here, I just couldn't be more grateful to you for choosing to spend your time with me today. I want to take some time to talk to you a little bit about the title of this show, Feeding Humans, and what my thought process was choosing that for this show. So first of all, thinking of feeding, yes, I am talking about food and how we nourish our bodies with food, but I always want us to consider that in the larger context of what feeds us as people, as individuals with spirits and souls and minds. What is it that makes us who we are and what fills us up? So our relationships, our families, our cultural backgrounds, our creative endeavors, our communion with nature, just the things that make our lives meaningful and that fill us up. So anytime we talk about feeding, we may be talking about that larger context and not just the food that we eat to fuel our bodies. For this term, humans, there's so much to unpack here. And I want to discuss where my mind goes with this concept of humanness in two senses, the first being the human body and the second being the human experience. So first, a discussion of the human body. What do we think of when we think of the human body? Usually we focus a lot on what it looks like, its appearance, its size and shape. We tend to really focus on those things. We may have some abstract idea of health and of the health of our bodies, but typically we tend to minimize the role that our physiology and metabolism plays in our lives. And I don't, when I say metabolism, I do not mean just kind of a calories in, calories out. I mean, the complex laboratory of all of the inner workings of your body and physiology. So in order to illustrate kind of how I think of this, we're going to take a little trip back to high school chemistry. So remember in high school chemistry, when we would write those chemical reaction equations that had those bi-directional arrows, so you had the two little arrows that are going in opposite directions from one side of the equation to the other and back and forth. And when those arrows were the same size, that indicated that the rate of reaction in both directions was equal. So the term for that is equilibrium, meaning the system is stable. Both sides of the equation are pretty happy, more or less constant. The reaction is still proceeding in both directions. It's still dynamic and active, but it's stable and balanced. If we added something or took something away from one side of that equation, the rate would shift toward 
reestablishing that balance. So if you added something to the right side of the equation, the arrow would get bigger going to the left. So the rate away from what we added to reestablish balance would, would increase until we got back to that state of equilibrium. Now, our bodies have thousands of those reactions happening all the time, and they're working to maintain that equilibrium all the time. But for the purpose of this discussion, for simplicity's sake, I want us to consider that our physiology, our human body, is on one side of an equation, and on the other side of the equation is our behavior and our environment. And so we have that bi-directional arrow between our human physiology and our behavior and environment. And both of those sides are responding to the other at all times. So when there's a change in our body, we respond to that change with our behavior. Or when there's a change in our behavior, our environment, our physiology responds in kind to correct imbalances and reestablish equilibrium. So a straightforward example of this might be, say you're running the 100 meter dash, you run as fast as you can for 100 meters. And what happens? Your heart rate goes up, your respiratory rate goes up, you're breathing quickly and heavily. And that's your body responding to that change in behavior and environment of you running really fast. And you feel that change right? So you feel your heart really racing and your breathing is really heavy. And that's kind of like a signal from your body saying, hey, slow down. That's, you know, great job, but let's take a take a breather. And so you take a rest and your heart rate comes down and your breathing normalizes until things kind of feel stable again. So that's just a little illustration of how we have both sides of that equation kind of responding to one another. So I also want to consider this relationship in terms of what happens when we go on a diet. Diets assume that the body, the physiology side of the equation is static or unchanging, that the body is just a passive recipient of whatever behaviors and choices we make. It does not assume that it's its own entity responding independently to its environment. But when we understand that the body is a really complex system that is incredibly responsive to what we give it and to the environment that it's in, we can make sense of where our experience with diets is not what we're told it's going to be. So say you're going to start a diet on Monday. Say today's Friday, You know you've got the weekend before you're going to start this new plan on Monday. And you make your eating decisions over the weekend based on anticipating that deprivation that you're going to feel on Monday. So maybe you go out to eat a lot and the things you choose to order are things that are feel super decadent and pleasurable, and you order them not because you really want them, but because you are anticipating not allowing yourself to have meals like that after this Monday change that you're going to make. So you really live it up over the weekend. And then Monday morning, you wake up and you're really ready and motivated and inspired to start this new plan. And whatever changes you have decided to adopt are in effect as of Monday. So how does your 
wise, responsive body receive this information. It went from kind of going all out all weekend and really sort of enjoying yourself to a big change on Monday. Either you've eliminated an entire food or food group, or you've dramatically restricted and limited the total amount of food that you're eating. There's some change that your body feels and your body registers that as inadequacy. And so your body responds to correct the imbalance, just like it did in chemistry class when we dramatically reduce what's on one side of an equation, the other side really responds and changes those rates to correct that imbalance. So what does that mean for our experience on a diet? So one of the ways the body responds when it perceives that it's in kind of a starvation mode, which actually can happen at even just slightly reduced intake, is it's going to upregulate or increase the signal's of hunger that you're getting in your body. So our hunger and fullness are regulated by hormones and other chemicals in our body. And our body's going to ramp those up as soon as it perceives that there is a threat of starvation to point you toward food and increase that drive and preoccupation that you feel with food. Another way that our body responds to perceived starvation is that it tries really hard to conserve energy and weight regulation. The way that our physiology regulates our body weight is to avoid starvation because our body doesn't know and doesn't care if we're on a new diet or if we're lost in the wilderness with no access to food. And it's going to respond the same way. So by working to protect us from starvation and holding on to every little bit of energy that we have available. It's going to manage our metabolic activities so that it's prioritizing only the very most important physiological activities that are important to our survival and kind of putting other physiological activities on the back burner. So we can see Because bodies love equilibrium, they love balance. Balance is an indicator that we're safe and stable and we can proceed as normal and optimal. So coming back to this bi-directional relationship with our behavior and our our input, our environment, including how much and what we're eating um, on one side and our physiology responding on the other side. And, And it will continue to work to correct any perceived imbalances including drastic changes to how we're eating. So when we assume that by going on a diet or manipulating the way that we eat, that our body is going to be just a passive recipient of that change and respond in a predictable way, we're likely to be disappointed because that's not how bodies work. So now I want to move on to talking about the human experience. And similarly, I think we tend to minimize um, some really important aspects of the human experience and overemphasize and focus too much on other aspects. So what do we tend to really focus on? Again, we tend to really put a lot of stock in our choices and behaviors. Now, I'm not going to say that choices and behaviors aren't important. 
and that they don't have an impact. They certainly do. But I think we tend to dismiss the very real impact that other aspects of our experience have on our behaviors and therefore on our physiology. So what are some of those aspects? Our families of origin, our cultural backgrounds, our socioeconomic status, what we refer to as social determinants of health, what we learned in childhood in our families growing up, particularly if there's any trauma history present, whether that's little mini traumas that we all experience from time to time, or if there's a history of complex trauma, I can't emphasize enough what a profound impact that has on our bodies. When we experience trauma, our bodies learn that we're not safe and that there is a threat out there to our well-being and that we need to be on constant vigilance to protect ourselves. When our bodies are getting the message that we're in danger and that we need to work to protect ourselves, every single physiological system in our body is impacted. And so when I think about the human experience and how it interplays with our physiology, that idea of any trauma that we've experienced or just any of those life experiences that we have had, our bodies respond to that. And then the final aspect of our human experience that I really want to make sure we touch on is the experience of living in diet culture. So whether you are aware of it or not, you're very familiar with what it is to live in diet culture because we all do. It's the air we breathe. So what does diet culture tell us? It tells us that health comes in one size, and that size is just generally the smaller the better. It tells us that pursuing thinness and efforts to make our bodies smaller are always worthy, no matter the cost that any means to make ourselves smaller, uh, that that is always a good thing and a good outcome, no matter what the implications are to our mental health or our physical health. Diet culture insists that we must look outside ourselves to know how to eat and how to manage our bodies, which typically involves spending a lot of money or making other sacrifices. Diet culture tells us that our bodies cannot be trusted, that they must be controlled, and that our instincts and our intuition are dangerous. And if we put our faith and our trust in ourselves and in our bodies, that our bodies will veer dangerously out of control if we don't work to keep them under control. And I want to point out that this is actually a form of trauma. When we experience trauma, the effect is to teach us that our bodies are not safe, that our bodies are unsafe places to live. And that is exactly the message that diet culture sends, that our bodies do not have our best interest at heart, that we have to oppose them and resist what they would do left to their own devices. And this is traumatizing because it disconnects us from our bodies. So going back to chemistry class, if we imagine that equation with the bidirectional arrow, in some sense, we can think of our body and our physiology on one side of that equation and the human experience on the other side of the equation. And that arrow is going both ways. Our physical bodies are constantly responding to our environment and our experience. 
And what is happening in our physical bodies influences what and how we experience the world. And these things are constantly in flux. Rather than one side of that equation, our physical bodies just being passive recipients, they're active participants. It's just like if we're in a relationship with another person. That's why we call it a relationship with our bodies is because our bodies are active participants. If you imagine your actual relationships with with people in your lives, whether it's a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend or a sibling, the other person in the relationship is not just a passive recipient of the things that we do and the things that we say. They are responding actively and behaving and making choices and saying things. And their experience of our relationship is based on their own human experience. So I think giving our bodies the respect that they are responding actively, constantly, back and forth with what we give it, we can see that as a partnership, as a relationship, as opposed to something we need to be manipulating or controlling. Because if we come to a relationship with the agenda to manipulate and control the other person, that's not going to be a very healthy relationship. And as a teaser for future conversations that we have, The same is true for our relationship with our kids. They have their own side of the equation, too, and they respond how they're going to respond. They're not just passive recipients of our discipline approach and what we teach them. They're not just little robots that we program. They're actually their own humans as well with their own experiences and their own bodies. And we can parent the best that we can, but at some point, they're just going to respond the way that they respond and become the people that they were designed to be. And generally speaking, I think it's really a great opportunity for us to deepen our understanding of our bodies and of our families and of ourselves to think of those relationships or equations, so to speak, as really metaphorically related. I think we can learn a lot about our relationships with our bodies from our relationships with our kids and vice versa. I think we can learn a lot about our kids by the way that we relate to our bodies. They're not ours to control. They're ours to interact with and respect and trust and be curious about and and not assume that we have all the information and we have all the control, but that this is a dynamic interchange of information and communication and care. And by considering that shift and how we might relate to our bodies and our kids as a relationship can really help us participate in those relationships in a more functional, positive way. So I hope that you will remember this broader perspective on these concepts of feeding and humans and what it means to be human for future episodes of this podcast. We will talk about all the different struggles that we face in our bodies with our relationship with food and with feeding our kids with that in mind that our human physiology is always working to protect us in ways that we aren't even aware of. And building trust that our bodies know what they're doing so that we can relax and feel at home in our bodies, trusting that they'll take care of us and doing what we can to take care of them. 
is our best hope for learning our body's language, understanding our needs and how to meet them and how to best care for ourselves and our families. Next episode, we are going to get a little more practical talking about our actual feeding environment in our homes. And hopefully it will address some of the difficulties that you've experienced feeding your kids and give you some ideas for little shifts that you could make that might address some of those challenges. So I hope you'll join me then. Now that you're here, I hope you won't be a stranger. Please come connect with me on Instagram at katzavrd or visit kznutrition.com for more resources. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with a friend or on your social media. You can review the show at Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you listen. And don't forget to hit subscribe. That helps me connect with more of you and bring more beautiful humans into this community. Thanks for being here. See you soon.